0: In the 1930s, Nazi Germany had scientists working to develop biological and chemical weapons that they hoped would help them win World War II. Today, we'll discuss their research, methods of conducting tests, and building of the newly invented ballistic missiles. As World War II came to an end, the US became aware of these scientists and their research and went on a mission to find and recruit these Nazis to begin working here in America. This mission became known is Operation Paperclip. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If you
1: thought the Battle of the Bulge was a sorority Royal Rumble match to see who could get Mike's cock for the night, stick around. I am guessing this is a topic you did not see coming. This is Necronomapod.
0: Nazi scientists, some of them tied to war crimes, including horrific concentration camp experiments, brought to the U.S. in a secret program to advance American security interests during the Cold War. It sounds like the plot of a film drama, but it actually happened, and on a large scale. The story is told in the new book, Operation Paperclip. Author and journalist Annie Jacobson joins us now. Welcome to you. Thank you. So, these were top scientists in the German war effort sought out by the U.S. military in, as the war was coming to end.
2: That's right. These were Hitler's top weapons makers, and Operation Paperclip became a classified military program to bring them to the United States.
0: Ian, you know, I have to say, uh, this has been one of the more most excited topics I feel like you've been for, for something we're going to cover. Yeah, anything World War II. Yeah. Very interested in. Look at that low key World War II buff over How here. How
1: about that? I thought you were suggesting he was a Nazi skinhead.
0: <laughs> I was not. But, uh, <laughs> just clarifying. I mean, I don't know. We'll get we'll the final thoughts at the end of the show. Maybe he's got something to say to us.
1: But uh, you go through the whole episode in the end and then he's
0: like Sieg Heil. He's throwing out <laughs> all this. Dave and I just like put our microphones down, <laughs> slowly back <laughs> away. Right, Catch you later, Aaron. <laughs> just play your little out. Ever uh, <laughs> 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 fucking gimmicking out over there?
1: Are you kidding?
0: That <laughs> <laughs> just goes to silence. Like, you know, outro, no outro, no social
2: over. medias, any of that. The podcast is just over. And <laughs> <It's
0: standardly>. just <laughs> 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 oh, that'd be hilarious. Not so much, actually. No. But for like 30 seconds, it'd be funny. Um, But you've been excited about this one.
2: Yeah. I've always been. Well, not always been really interested in World War II, but um, when I was in high school, I've talked about that car wreck that I got in. Um, my whole junior year, I was home for, because my school didn't have a wheelchair ramp, so I couldn't go to school. not how, how how even legal. Accepted? It's not even legal. What are you talking <laughs>
1: about?
0: <laughs> that is not okay.
2: That's how it was in okay. Steubenville. Steubenville. <laughs> yeah. Get the fuck out of here.
0: Well, I think it's pretty safe to say it's still no holds <laughs> part in Steubenville. Apparently. have
2: <laughs> But this uh, this guy is taught at a college nearby.
0: Well, you broke your leg. You can't come here. (laughs) Sorry. Get fucked, camp. Yeah.
2: So so this guy, um, this college professor, would come to my house to teach me for most of my subjects. How'd you get hooked up with him? I don't know. It's just through the through the school. Whatever. It's a small town. Like, provided
0: something for you. Yeah. He did like homeschooling type stuff.
1: Have you ever seen Fast Times of Ridge, my high? Sounds like Mr. Hand when he goes to see
0: Spicoli. <laughs> Mr. Hand. I haven't. But in my mind, I'm going to think of it like movie 43 homeschooling. <laughs> 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 Except Ian's like in a wheelchair and he can't get away from anything. Yeah. So he's stuck there, pal.
2: Um, so, yeah, this guy would come to my house to teach me. But we got onto the subject of World War II and he just kind of threw the history hmm plan out and we did nothing but talked about That's world cool. war two he would just give me all these books to read i would read them and we'd discuss them
0: can you imagine how sweet oh, wow. that would be like you have your own private like a professor coming and he's like ah you pick what i'm going to teach you about yeah and i'm just going to educate you on that That'd you probably
1: awesome. earned like a history degree and you just didn't get it though because it wasn't no. it wasn't real <laughs>
0: right, look, take it from someone who's been there uh it's not difficult to get a history degree <laughs> You, you, you might have probably more education than I do <laughs> on, the, on the matter.
2: Yeah, he was a really cool guy. He was really nice. So, yeah, I've been excited for this. I've been cramming information nice. in the past couple of days.
0: I feel like, because this was something I was not that familiar with, but since we started this show,
2: I feel like you've been talking
0: about Operation Paperclip, like Nazis and the occult and Operation mm-hmm.
2: Paperclip. Yeah. The thing with Operation Paperclip is it's like the precursor to MK Ultra. Because MKUltra directly came from Operation. Those same kind of people. Yeah.
1: I think the problem with this episode is going to be limiting the side discussions about World War II. Like you could do a podcast every week about World War II for 20 years and still not cover everything. So it's just hard to
0: limit those discussions when you do a kind of a targeted World War II story like this. We could do that. And then meanwhile, listeners who tune in for true crime, paranormal you know, murders and cults are going to be like, fuck this. <laughs> not trying to hear I it. I don't know. That's World War
2: II has all of that, man. It all fits in. That's the thing with this is that there's so many different like side quests you can go down. <gasps> mm-hmm. This outline is condensed. I, I read a 600 page book. I watched a college professor do a, do a talk, a lecture on this on YouTube. And it was like an hour long mm-hmm. and condensing all that information into, you know, 10 pages. Yeah, exactly. There's so many different, it's hard, different operations within, you know, you like could talk about this for a week and, you know, right. So we'll keep the sidebars to a minimum. I, I think
0: you have to. We won't, but I think you have to. <laughs> well, well, we'll keep the World War Two sidebars. We'll at least have some ridiculous talk halfway through here. Talk about, you know, I don't know. Chili cheese Fritos, which are underrated, by the way. It sounds good. I like those. Yeah. All I, right. I had the Culver's cod sandwich <laughs> last night. I bet it was amazing. Really
1: good. First time ever. There's literally nothing bad on the Culver's menu. Do recommend. I had sushi
0: today. Oh, I had Szechuan Plus. chicken yesterday. There so we're go. all eating like kings, I guess.
2: All right. Nice. All
0: right. Good talk. See you out there.
2: (laughs) So for this outline, I started off with a quote from Albert Einstein. Uh, He wrote a letter to president Truman about the idea of operation paperclip. And he said, quote, we
0: hold these individuals to be potentially dangerous carriers of racial and religious hatred. Their former eminence as Nazi party members and supporters raises the issues of their fitness to become American citizens, or hold key positions in American industrial, scientific, and educational institutions. If it is deemed imperative to utilize these individuals in this country, we earnestly petition you to make sure that they will not be granted permanent residence or citizenship in the United States with the opportunity which that would afford of inculcating those anti-democratic doctrines which seek to undermine and destroy our national unity. Do we want science at any price? I'm with Einstein in this. I that's, usually am. We share a lot of character traits and similarities. <laughs> Einstein yeah. and
1: me, yeah.
2: If That's going to be the it's question a, of this. That's whole. a pretty
0: stern uh, letter, and,
2: and that's strong, strongly worded. Mm-hmm. And he's right. And that's what we're going to, I guess, at the end, really debate. What are you willing to look away from? Yeah. You know, what are you willing to look past for scientific advancement? It's a great question. We're going to answer it here tonight. Probably not.
0: (laughs) And all of life's mysteries right here tonight.
2: In December 1938, German chemist Otto Hahn discovered nuclear fission, which opened up the door that it would be theoretically possible to manufacture an atomic bomb. As word of this discovery traveled between nations, it quickly became apparent that Nazi Germany was going to weaponize nuclear fission. On August 2nd, 1939, Albert Einstein put his signature on a letter to President Roosevelt essentially saying that the United States needed to fund research in nuclear fission and stockpile the necessary materials to perform tests. A month later on September 1st, 1939, Nazi Germany invaded Poland. And then two days later, the UK and France declared war on Germany, which kicked off world war II. or that's the agreed upon mm. date. I saw there was some debate on that. And when it actually... The official start date. Yeah, but that's like the most accepted one. That makes sense. On October 11th, 1939, President Roosevelt authorized the creation of the Advisory Committee on Uranium. Then 10 days later, on October 21st, $6,000 was budgeted to the Committee of Uranium to begin testing. Six grand, huh? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's a lot of money back in the day. It's not that much. Nowadays, they'd barely buy the supplies for the committee.
0: (laughs) Papers, pens, post-it notes, paper
1: clips.
2: (laughs) The name would come gradually over the years, but this was the start of the Manhattan Project. It officially got the name the Manhattan Project in 1942, and it went from this small uranium committee to a project that employed around 130,000 people and cost around $2 billion, which would be... $31 $31 billion in today's money. Still
1: doesn't seem like that much. No? I guess it's a lot. I don't know. Just compared to the defense what, budget, grand? $31 billion to build fucking nukes. I don't know. Seems like money well spent, right?
0: We're in a depression, Dave. What the fuck you want from them? <laughs> Same. <laughs> yeah, 30. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the translation is on that. I mean, well, yeah, it was what?
1: Six into 31, right? Yeah. Two pay. into 31 billion. So $31 billion in today's dollars. I'm just saying it doesn't seem like that much oh i'm sorry i mis- i was
0: misreading that yeah eh, all
1: right i agree if we could get a super weapon built today to you know extinguish the whole planet it'd be worth
0: 40 50 billion dollars right <laughs> <laughs> it's money well spent maybe back then though they didn't have as much technology to do the research so it didn't cost as much yeah, Maybe they could use that to get as much the more bang for their buck out of what they could do. Yeah.
1: Different time. times, Mike, different times. Certainly.
0: Well, you were around about what? 10 years after
2: this. <laughs> Utterly ridiculous. <laughs> statement. The United States formally entered world war II on December 11th, 1941. And under the Manhattan project, a sub operation started in 1943 called the ALSOS mission. The Alsos mission would consist of top scientists moving alongside the allies as we fought to advance toward Germany. The purpose was to find out everything they could about the Nazi nuclear weapons program and what progress was being made. The belief was at the time that Nazi Germany had a two-year head start on the U.S. And until the U.S. Army saw anything otherwise, it was considered dire to find out what the Nazis had. Once the Alsos mission was was finalized lieutenant colonel boris pash would command and dr samuel goodsmith acting as chief of science i think the nazis having the bomb would constitute a dire
1: situation right yeah like think about that what that means obviously what our world might look like now if that were the case or if they did and we didn't or if they beat us to it by two years (coughs) right and used it we wouldn't be here we might not be
0: USA <laughs> USA I th- I felt that was appropriate. I mean I time. think we'd
1: be here, but we might be in a very subservient uh you know
0: we'd be speaking German situation.
1: Germany. You might be speaking German. We would not be doing this podcast. We might not be doing this podcast. We'd be doing a podcast about the thousand year Reich that was in year eighty or yeah. whatever it is. <laughs> Nine hundred years
2: to go. Also one was assembled on December 14th, 1943 and took place in Italy they were able to make contact with two Italian scientists. Both scientists said that they had not done any atomic research for the Germans or anyone else. And they suspected that even if the Germans were working on an atomic bomb, it would have taken them at least a decade to complete it.
1: I make a pizza pie, not a nuclear fission. <laughs> stories of <a> Fugazi. <laughs> trying
2: to take over Mike's gimmick.
0: <laughs> God damn, pal.
2: Alsos II began with the primary objective of getting to the College of France in Paris, where French physicist Frederick Joliot Curie had a laboratory. The Allies were gaining ground in German occupied France, which allowed the Alsos II mission to get to Frederick. Frederick cooperated and answered questions, but it was documented that Alsos II mission members didn't trust Frederick based on his interactions with Nazi scientists. Frederick told them that it was his belief that the Nazis hadn't made much progress in developing nuclear weapons, and was able to give Alsos to a list of names of Nazi scientists who had either visited or worked at his laboratory. And we obviously know, like you guys were talking about, that they never developed a nuclear weapon.
0: They had just figured out that if you put peanut butter on jelly on bread, that it's a fantastic sandwich.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, we're so fucking worried about what they were working on they were so advanced and we're going to talk about advancements later on where they start going, but Nazi Germany was extremely advanced compared to us. So it's, it's really debated on why they weren't able to create the nuclear weapon. I mean, I think part
1: of it is that they chased out a lot of the good Jewish scientists who were the top level, you know, creative scientists in the country and it's ironic that they all fled the country and came over here and helped us build you know the nuclear bombs in the manhattan project to ultimately win the war so i mean it, you can argue that, that you know hitler's i don't know racial animus kind of did him in with the with the the, the jew hating
2: stuff cuz he drove a lot of those smart guys out of the country i think it's a part of it i mean that definitely i think would have something to do with it maybe he put it on the back burner and shouldn't have the nuclear research right like that and went the way of chemicals and biological weapons
0: which i maybe maybe he thought that was the way he was going to win
2: yeah from what i was reading they developed sarin gas
1: in like 1938 so they already had that available and and hitler never authorized its use he was against using you know they had like 12,000 tons of sarin gas during
0: the war and they never used it that's where he drew the line that that's uh yeah right <laughs> that's I'll do a, all this other shit <laughs> But I'm not using sarin gas against soldiers. I'm going to use a
1: Zyklon B, you know, in Auschwitz and everywhere Mm -hmm. else. But some of the people think that, (coughs) you know, Hitler was a victim of chlorine gas attack in World War I, so he had experienced that firsthand. not sure I buy that story, but some people think maybe that had a lot to do with him not authorizing the use of that weapon. Or he probably understood that, you know, if you release that, then... We're we're gonna release that. <laughs> yeah. Winston Churchill was in favor of chemical weapons and was always ready to release that. So well,
0: he was always ready to throw hands with anybody. Yeah, so he was in favor of chemical weapons. Churchill. Hitler saved. He all was his ready to go. Gas for the uh, prison camps. Yeah. All right, here we go. We're getting off
2: on <laughs> well, one of the doctors we're going to talk about at the end was the innovator of sarin gas. Mm. Created it. There you go. Bring him up at the end. I hope I didn't ruin it. No, you're good. (laughs) (laughs) That's just stuff I've read about why Hitler never deployed chemical weapons. By early fall 1944, the Allies had taken back control of Paris, and the Alsos II mission set up headquarters. Within these headquarters, smaller teams were organized to go out with advancing armies to search for German scientists, confiscating nuclear-related materials like uranium and taking any scientific documents they could find. During the final months of 1944, the Alsos two mission advanced toward Germany, but was slowed by the German counterattack known as the Battle of the Bulge. Ever hear of that, Mike? It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> a ridiculous <laughs> name. Like, as soon as I read it in the book, I'm like, okay.
0: <laughs> Sounds familiar. Hazy times. Well, it's it's kind of good. Nah, let, forget it. just keep going on. We're going to just get carried away. here. Let's keep it on track.
1: We'll keep it on track. <laughs> well, it's it's named after how the, the flanks, like you know,
0: like the battle plan and the battle lines, right? Isn't that? And it was the last major German offensive of the war. Yeah. Spoiler alert: They lost. <laughs> they didn't have nukes.
2: Nope. They didn't use their sarin gas. So, because they had nowhere to go, Alsos two officials used this time to analyze thousands of pieces of information that they had found along the way. As they poured through all this information, it started to become apparent that there was truth to what Dr. Joliot-Curie told them about the Nazis not making it far regarding nuclear weapons. Instead, it appeared the Nazis were more focused on biological and chemical weapons. So their objective changed a bit. Maybe because those are tried and true and, you know, nuclear fission is a
1: new idea that hasn't been proven. So put the effort into what, you know,
2: still curious. They didn't use them though. So specifically with them going through this information, we're going to talk about the night of November 26, 1944. On this night, one of those smaller groups under Alsos II was in Strasbourg, France, and in this group was Chief of Science Dr. Samuel Goodsmith. Strasbourg had been liberated by the Allies, but there was still heavy fighting going on as the Nazis tried to retake Strasbourg. Strasbourg. Alsos II had located the apartment of Dr. Eugene Hagen, who was believed to be one of the top developers of biological weapons for the Nazis. A day earlier, when it became apparent that the Allies were going to take control of Strasbourg, Dr. Hagen fled his apartment, leaving behind tons of documents. So on the evening of November 26th, Dr. Goodsmith and his team set up shop in Dr. Hagen's apartment and they weren't going to leave until they read every document that was left behind, mm. which it sounds crazy. Like they have uh, army members outside guarding the door, like yeah, waiting while these scientists are all going through paperwork. That's
1: what makes these stories so interesting is it's not something you normally think about. You know, you watch World War Two movies, you watch documentaries, and it kind of, I think, affects how you visualize World War Two. And you don't ever consider kind of these ancillary activities that are going on behind the scenes, outside of combat. You have like this, you have those monuments men who were traipsing all over, looking for stolen Nazi artwork and stuff. There's just a lot of these interesting stories, not something you normally consider. That's why I think it's so interesting.
0: I find that stuff more interesting than the actual war industry. It kind of is sometimes, yeah. Like as a a guy who enjoys history, I actually find war to be the most boring thing to study, personally, which is very rare. I know most people love studying like, you know, Vietnam, World War II. I think it's the most boring thing—the strategy and the behind-the-scenes stuff, like that. Monuments men, the behind-the-scenes stuff, behind the, scenes stuff. Yes. the strategy stuff. I don't like. Like, mm. I don't want to hear what Patton was thinking about why he went this way instead of this. Oh, way. I do. Like I to love me, I'm stuff. just like, <sighs> like I want to just the behind-the-scenes stuff. Yeah, I prefer. I'm in the rare on that, but it is what it is. Military history, not my thing. That's fair.
2: Yeah, I
1: you know, feel like everything.
2: Patton's a good movie, though. It's a great movie. That's an interesting follow there. From other intelligence information, it was well known to the Alsos mission members that the University of Strasbourg was being used as a factory to develop and produce biological and chemical weapons for the Nazis. When Nazis took over Strasbourg, most of the existing professors were replaced with Nazi scientists and SS soldiers. Within these documents, Dr. Goodsmith found... One that was just a casual letter sent from Dr. Hagen to another Nazi scientist, Dr. August Hurt. But this document was a game changer for them. And it read, quote, November 15th, 1943. Of the 100 prisoners
0: you sent me, 18 died in transport. Only 12 are in condition suitable for my experiments. I therefore request that you send me another 100 prisoners between 20 and 40 years of age who are healthy and in physical condition comparable to soldiers. Heil Hitler Professor Dr. E. Hagen so much for the uh, Hippocratic Oath,
2: am I right? <laughs> <laughs> so there's so many side things going on, like you just brought up all mm-hmm. these different things. I don't know um like what each operation knew about human testing or if other ones. I'm sure maybe at least one did before i you know yeah, who knows right. uh but to Dr. Goodsmith, this was. Uh, this was brand new information. He wrote about it in his memoirs saying that this was just a complete shock. But he understood uh, why they would be using humans. Of course. A, a dark realization. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I remember, I think I had talked about before a few times when I went on that like World War II trip when, after I graduated college, which... Makes no sense now that I just talked about how that was my least favorite part of history, but still <laughs> a chance to go to Europe and drink beers. And we called it the Battlefields and Beers Tour, two thousand eight. That's fantastic. But I went to the uh, Imperial War Museum in London, and you know, just an incredible uh, World War Two museum. And they had a whole bunch of like a Holocaust exhibit at the time. And this was the same museum I think I've talked about on the show where you can walk through like, uh, the battlefield, like the trenches and they like input the smell of like rotting corpses like, yeah, to make it, you sure. know, there was explosions and anyways, they had, um, like an actual video of one of like the tests going on of like a human locked in a box where the Nazis were adjusting the air pressure really high and oh. really low. And you just saw this person suffering. It was one of the, one of the few things I remember just vividly. Cause it was just horrible. It's kind of shocking sometimes just the level of inhumanity that people can show towards other people. The museum itself was fantastic. highly recommend if you find yourself in in, London, I believe it was in an actual London, I Mm. think
2: Imperial war museum. So what Dr. Goodsmith realized was first, it's horrific to use humans as test subjects. Second, using human subjects meant that the Nazi biological and chemical weapons program was probably very successful Dr. Goodsmith knew that Dr. Eugene Hagen was a specialist in vaccines, so he would have been developing a vaccine to protect Nazi soldiers from their own biological weapons. Having a vaccine that is ready for safe trial runs on humans can take years to accomplish, especially back in the 40s. Um, You have to test on animals first, stuff like that. The fact that Nazis were using human test subjects from the beginning with no regard for life meant that they would have been able to cut years off of research. That
1: makes sense, huh?
2: Alsos III started on February 24th, 1945, when the Allies entered Germany. Now the objective was to find, detain, and interrogate as many Nazi scientists as possible. And while Operation Paperclip wasn't a thing yet, the Alsos mission already had it in their minds that Nazi scientists could fall into the hands of the Soviet Union. An example of how important it was that the Soviet Union not get a hold of any of these scientists, as the Allies advanced towards Berlin, Dalsos' mission became aware of a very important German facility regarding research and production of these weapons. This facility was north of Berlin, and it would be reached by the Soviets before the Allies could get there. So on March 15, 1945, 612 flying fortresses of the 8th Air Force dropped about 2,000 tons of explosives on the plant destroying everything. We don't even know what was going on in that place, any of the Mm. paperwork or anything. We just blew it up. If you can't have it, no
0: one can, motherfuckers.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's an interesting dynamic because, I mean, we knew
1: Germany was defeated at that point. It was only going to take a while and we also knew that the Soviets were going to be our next next in line, next in line. You know, our current allies in in another year they're going to, not even a year, going to be our next Enemy in the cold war, how do you balance that? You certainly don't want any of this information to get to them. So yeah. it's
0: yeah. a fascinating little tidbit.
2: Yeah. And for they're sure. just like, eh, blow it the fuck up. Decimate it. Every it scientist the st- in there just huh? blew it up. Sorry, Nazis. Yeah. Because they got to Berlin first, so we can't have that. So good right. call. This third Alsos mission was following behind the third armored division. This division had liberated the city of Cologne, Germany, and now they were moving towards Bonn. Like in Strasbourg, Bonn University was being used as a Nazi biological and chemical plant. The 3rd Armored Division sent out a lookout days before, and he reported back that professors were burning documents outside Bonn University. This was a point in World War II where the realization had set in for Nazi Germany that they had lost the war and orders were sent to destroy any and all evidence as well as execute all prisoners. Did you get to Cologne when you were over there, Mike? You didn't go to Germany, did you?
0: We did. I don't remember going to Cologne. I really wish I would have kept a better yeah like, journal or you know, itinerary.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask
0: you how it smelled there. <laughs> <laughs> Probably wonderful, right? <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> I don't believe I went to Cologne. sad. I believe it's pronounced Cologne. <laughs> Is it Cologne? Cologne. <laughs> we won the war. We get to dictate what it's called. <laughs> Want to Cologne, Germany?
2: <laughs> when Baden University was secured, it was found that documents were also being flushed down the toilets, uh, which doesn't seem like a great idea. Like, I mean, how, you, how many are you going to get down there before it clogs?
1: Wasn't Trump just doing that the other day? Oh, was, was he? he <laughs> flushing? There was like know. an eyewitness report where he was trying to
2: flush paperwork down the toilet or something. That's absurd. I swear I read that. <laughs>
0: like you could ball up one piece of paper. You yeah, do I like don't one, understand. One piece yeah. of paper at a time?
2: Right, like I have to yell at my son all the time for using too much toilet paper. I'm like, dude, you're fucking it up. Like you're clogging the, the toilet. Like you didn't have a lighter? It's easier files to flush the <laughs> ash. Like, what are you doing? Files upon files just throwing down the it's toilet. It's wild. Well, we're going to talk about right now that there's a, a Polish lab tech found pieces of a, not, of a list of Nazi scientists, and this would become known as the Ossenberg list. Dr. Werner Ossenberg was a member of the SS and a high-ranking member of the Gestapo. There's a lot of people that don't believe this story that think that there's something mm. being hidden here because there's a lot of people who are like they were outside burning stuff. Why the fuck would they be flushing them down to the right, toilet? You couldn't well? burn it
1: fast enough. Just throw it on the pot. Right. There's
2: a lot of people, not even conspiracy people. There's just people that question this, the story mm. that this is how the list was found.
1: What would be the reason
2: to obscure how the list was found? I don't know. Mm. Yeah. seems like Interesting a question. Yeah. When Adolf Hitler came into power, the Nazification of Germany began in full force, especially in education, like books being burned and replaced with Nazi approved ones, stuff like that. Part of this was to put an end to almost all scientific study, a lot of which Hitler called, quote, Jew science. When World War II started, everything was put towards war efforts, and that included all these scientists and educators like you said Dave all the jewish scientists he ran them out but yeah, even see? even uh, non-jewish scientists and educators were sent straight out onto you know the, the workforce driving trucks and stuff that's what weren't. all fascists do when they take over they send the educated people out by 1942 it was apparent that germany was starting to uh, be at a disadvantage logistically in the war so on june 9th 1942 hitler signed orders for all of these Uh, doctors and scientists and teachers to be pulled from those jobs on the front lines, driving trucks and stuff and be put to work researching ways to win the war. So essentially he was like, God damn it. I kicked all those
0: great people out. That's right. Those smart people pull them off the front lines or whatever they're doing.
2: (laughs) Yep. Hey
1: Hey, Hitler, you want all those uh, smart Jews back? Nine, 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 (laughs) nine, nine.
2: That clip from downfall. (laughs) So it was with this order that Dr. Ozenberg was ordered to put together a list of top scientists and engineers. Interesting. And that's where they, that's where supposedly that's, that's where it came from. Yeah. And that's the list that they found.
1: Hmm. Very interesting set of circumstances.
2: Hitler's like, yeah, maybe I
1: fucked up getting rid of all the smart <laughs> like people. Yeah. That wasn't yeah. great.
0: What do we got on the front lines? Yeah. Mm. Give me that. I never think that. Mm. Remember, this was your idea. You talked me into this. <laughs> They're like, Hitler, I, I swear I didn't. No, I'm pretty sure you brought this up at that board meeting on Tuesday. Remember Rose bought those shitty donuts? They were stale. and yeah, You talked me into this, I'm pretty sure. Fuck you. I'm going to kill you now. Bye. That was my Hitler impression, by the way. I thought it was great. Yeah, that, yeah, that was been good. On that for a long time <laughs> It's not like shitty stale donuts.
2: That's one of the, the I guess I don't know saddest things or whatever about. Aside from like the human that de- you know all the death and stuff, the destruction of educational things, and then like reputting you know replacing it with Nazi stuff, destroying like just artifacts that they destroyed everything. Oh yeah, that's part I mentioned the
1: monuments man earlier. That's Part of what that was, because when they when they realized they were done, Hitler gave an order to destroy like all that artwork that the Nazis had confiscated, like you know, priceless treasures from centuries and centuries, and that's what those guys were looking for.
2: Thankfully, a lot of those top Nazis disregarded that order, so a lot of that stuff was saved. There was videos a couple years ago online of uh, when ISIS was moving into Iraq. And they would go into places and just destroy oh, thousands yeah. of year old oh, these yeah. statues that have been there for thousands and thousands of years. Just blow them up. Yeah.
0: Same with the Taliban in Afghanistan,
1: blowing up old, you know, 2000 year old Buddha statues and it's crazy. Just priceless stuff. Sure.
0: So glad we've advanced a society and we don't burn books anymore. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you really would think we'd be a lot farther than this, right? Like than where we are now. We're not you would that think. We really should be a lot more advanced,
2: I think. That fucking um, the graphic novel about the Holocaust just got banned a couple weeks ago. Yeah. In yeah. schools <laughs> in Tennessee. So, I mean, we're banning yeah. books. Yeah, we're still banning books. So, back to March 1945, the Ossenberg list had been found in a toilet and. The top name on that list was Dr. Werner von Braun. He also won the award for the most German name in history. Werner <laughs> von Braun or Brown? Brown. Brown? I always thought it was I thought it was, it was, was Braun too. Yeah. When I was watching You're uh
1: going to learn today.
2: <laughs> the college professor I watched on YouTube was German. Mm. He was like really hard to understand. He had a really thick accent, but he kept calling him Brown. Are you sure he wasn't saying
0: Braun just with an accent? No, because then I was
2: like, oh, shit. And so I went out and, yeah. Dr. Von Braun was a rocket engineer born on March 12, 1912, in an area of Germany, which is now Wurzik, Poland. Dr. Von Braun was a member of the Nazi Party and a member of the SS, which will kind of debate his involvement and knowledge of what was happening later in the episode von braun was the creator of the world's first long-range guided ballistic missile the missile was powered by liquid rocket fuel which was a revolutionary design initially it was called the a4 rocket but on december 22nd 1942 hitler ordered that the mass production of the missile start but not as the a4 hitler wanted it renamed the v2 for vengeance weapon 2 clever they also had the V1. So the, the big difference was the V1 was too slow and it was getting shot down. Okay. And then Werner Brown figured out with liquid rocket fuel, he could make it go way faster. Uh, all right. With the modifications, the V2 rocket also became the first man made object to travel into space on June 20th, 1944. Dr. Von Brown shot this takeoff and presented a color film to Hitler. On July 7th, 1943, Hitler was so happy with these advancements that he personally promoted Dr. von Braun. And this was also the start of the Wunderwaff or wonder weapons. There was so many rumors going around about the wonder weapons that he was coming up with. Mm. And a lot of them were actual, there were rumors, but some of them they tried to, a lot of them they tried to make. Like stuff that would cause earthquakes. Like right. crazy right, shit. Right. Hitler was wild. They tried to make like a death ray, a for real one that used x-rays. Mm. Like they put that into production to a degree. I like one of those. That's Using some, the sun as a some candidates. <laughs> Damn, <laughs> they, were, they were making a weapon too that was like a kind of a sun ray. Mm. Like basically putting a magnifying glass over an ant. Yeah. They wanted to do that with the sun and like create a big weapon that you would also just replicate over that
0: over eggs and just make breakfast for everybody <laughs> and put it over 10,000 right. eggs, right. feed everybody.
2: It'd be like the watchman having
1: Dr. Manhattan in right? combat winning in Vietnam, just incinerating people. Why, why they shoot the V2 into space? Like for what purpose? Just to, he was real obsessed with
0: space because they fucking could, huh? you could shoot something yeah. in space right now. Would you, would you not? I a
2: hundred percent would. So that's a, that's a great answer. Yeah. We'll talk about that whenever we get to the Nazis and the occult stuff. But he was real into space. He had some really interesting mm. thoughts going through his head.
0: That is after now that we've done Operation Paperclip, Nazis and the occult is the longest reigning talked about episode. <laughs> yeah. that has got to exist. We've, isn't that in our like trailer? Yeah. That we, oh yeah, we made yeah. that like you know, fucking nineteen years ago. It feels like.
2: There was another one that they had that they actually put into production, and they um, and they used it to attack. They called it the bouncing bomb, which just looked like this big cylinder, and they would let it go on the water, and it would just skip on the water, and they would like time it to where a submarine was, so it would just skip and then blow up over the top of a submarine. Mm,
0: that was one of Hitler's. Yeah,
2: loved. and that actually worked. They used that like uh. crazy stuff nuts. And Instead of working on nuclear weapons he was coming up with wild shit. Good thing right? So that's well, why yeah. they didn't get
0: to the nuclear weapons. Yeah, if they'd have, that, You were asking before why yeah. not. He was just looking elsewhere. If they'd have focused all that fucking energy and, and imagination
1: into nukes we might have a problem right now right?
0: But I mean look if you're looking back from his perspective then you didn't know what a nuclear bomb was going to become necessarily so in his mind oh if I can blow up all these submarines with a bouncing bomb mm-hmm. I'm going to win this war
1: luckily all those smart scientists he drove out of the country they knew what was possible yeah, they, they brought
2: like, they brought it over hey, here hey guys <laughs> this is dipshit over here yeah. <laughs> <laughs> here's what we got going on under von Braun, production of the v2 missiles was done in pinamunda on the baltic coast of germany and as soon as an arsenal was established bombing began nazi germany targeted allied cities like london and in all, the V2 attacks killed an estimated 9,000 civilian and military personnel, as well as about 30,000 prisoners through forced labor, which we're going to get to in a minute. Mm. A lot of civilian bombing in World War Two. Yeah, there was footage of the results of one of the V2 uh, attacks on civilian, just a, mm-hmm. just like dropping it like in Cleveland, mm-hmm. you know. Well, they weren't the only ones. I mean, we firebombed Dresden, Germany, and killed 25,000 people over two days yeah. with that firestorm. Not long after the V-2 bombing started, British intelligence found out where production was taking place, which resulted in the bombing of Pina Munde. Over the course of August 17th and 18th, 1943, allies carried out Operation Hydra, which 596 Allied aircraft dropping 1,800 tons of explosives on Day. Most of the engineering team was unharmed, but Von Braun's chief engineer and chief designer were both killed, which delayed production. At that point, it was decided that further V2 production would take place underground.
0: Too bad. So sad. (laughs) This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. People don't always realize that physical symptoms like headaches, teeth grinding, and even digestive issues can be indicators of stress. And let's not forget about doom scrolling, sleeping too little, sleeping too much, undereating, and overeating. How does stress make you feel? Think about what you do now to cope with your daily stress. Do you exercise, take a nap, work more, or are you like me and dive headfirst into a double cheeseburger? Stress shows up in all kinds of different ways. And in a world that's telling you to do more, sleep less, and grind all the time, here's your reminder to take care of yourself, do less, and maybe try some therapy. Your mental health should be taken seriously. Nothing can cripple your day or stunt your motivation more than feeling depressed, anxious, or sad. We all have a lot to deal with in our daily lives, be it the struggles of work, keeping food on your table, or even paying the bills. Your mental health is one area that you shouldn't have to worry about. Whether life currently has you down or you're feeling unfulfilled, we're all experiencing our own form of strain on our mental health. And for that, BetterHelp is here for us. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, so why not give it a try and see if online therapy can lower your stress? This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Necronomipod listeners get ten percent off their first month at BetterHelp.com/necro. Again, that's BetterHelp H-E-L-P dot slash necro. That's B-E-T-T-E-R H-E-L-P dot com slash necro. And thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring today's podcast.
2: On August 23, 1943, Adolf Hitler ordered that concentration camp prisoners be used to produce V 2 missiles. Pretty much at the same time, the Middle dora concentration camp was established. It would become its own concentration camp not long after, but to start, it was a subcamp under the Buchenwald concentration camp. Five days after Hitler's orders on August 28th, the first 107 prisoners from Buchenwald arrived. On September 2nd, another 1,223 prisoners arrived, and it just grew from there. By Christmas of 1943, there were more than 10,000 prisoners at Mittelbau Dora. We said they were going to move production of the V-2 missiles underground, and that's what all these prisoners at Middle Baldura were forced to build, an underground facility known as Middlework, which translates to Central Works. Dr. Von Braun was directly involved in the planning for Middlework, along with Middlework Operations Director Arthur Rudolph, who we'll talk about more in a bit. But since Middle Baldura was built pretty much overnight, initially there were no huts or any barracks type of thing for prisoners, so they were housed inside the tunnels. That consisted of four levels of wooden bunk beds stacked over each other. There were no bathrooms, only barrels, that weren't regularly changed. Prisoners died from hunger, thirst, cold, and being overworked. During the first months, most of the work that was done was heavy construction, not until January 1944 when production of the B-2 officially began at Middlework where the first prisoners moved to the above ground camp. Even with Middle Baldora operational above ground, most prisoners had to sleep in the tunnels until May of 1944. No ventilation, just a tunnel. Just
1: an unimaginable amount of suffering in everywhere. Yeah. I just, I, I can't imagine it. Like I try to imagine what that's like and I can't. Like I had, I had a, of, I'm getting my tattoo sleeve reworked and I had a lot of work done last week. My arm's been hurting all week and like I've been bummed out all week. Like it really hurts. Like it's really <laughs> like, like That's the most you could do. I'm like, enough of this pain already. Like <laughs> fucking heal already. I would die on the first day in anything like this. I just can't imagine it.
0: Well, the physical labor would put me out for sure. I, I,
1: I just have no tolerance for anything like that. I would be, be like, nope, that's not for me.
0: So they would probably kill me after i asked for my third bathroom break though in hours so <laughs> they're like fuck this this guy's useless he just pisses all the time i'm not trying to make light of this no, you know I it's mean, just it's unimaginable i don't Yeah, you know,
1: i'd be done immediately so people that survived that man fucking hats off to you because
2: i couldn't i don't know how anyone could from october 1943 to march 1944 out of a total of Seventeen thousand five hundred prisoners, almost three thousand, died at Middle dora Another three thousand who were very sick or dying were sent to other concentration camps, where very few survived. At the end of nineteen forty-three, the Middle dora work squads had the highest death rate in the entire concentration camp system, which is crazy because you don't—you always hear of Auschwitz and um, Buchenwald or like the two big ones mm-hmm. for a sub camp. There was just so much death going on here. Dachau
0: too was the big one. That was the yeah. I went to. Mm-hmm.
2: Is that where you went? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right before the V2 production officially started in the tunnels, Nazi officials visited with some of them being shocked at how bad the conditions were, like dead bodies laying all over the place in the tunnels. Like they're just walking the missile parts oh. and stuff past. There's just dead bodies. If everywhere. you're shocking Nazi officials, you're, you know, yeah, you're probably off the charts. Regardless, a week later, a letter was written to Arthur Rudolph praising him, saying, quote, In transforming the underground installation from
0: its raw condition two months ago into a factory, which has no equal in Europe, and which is unsurpassed even when measured against American standards, I take this opportunity to express my appreciation for this really unique achievement. (laughs) Hell of a guy. Hell
2: of a guy. Yeah. Swell. So that was. It 100. is
0: unsurpassed even by American standards, but <laughs> yeah. for not the reasons you're thinking, Palgrave.
2: <laughs> so that's Arthur Rudolph. All, our, we're going to talk about him in a bit. Arthur Rudolph is praised for that. Back to March 1945, Alsos three had the list of scientists, and they really wanted von Braun. Germany was on its heels, and it was just a matter of time before they would lose the war. Production of the V-2 missiles also started going downhill due to the prisoners being so weak and sick. The managers at Middlework thought that prisoners were sabotaging the missiles, so they started to carry out public hangings to send a message. A war Crimes report for the Nuremberg trials said, quote,
0: Prisoners were hanged up to 57 in one day. They were hanged in the tunnels with the help of an electrically controlled crane, a dozen at a time their hands bound behind their back. A piece of wood was put in their mouth to prevent shouting.
2: Reportedly, this went on for days until there was a memo, like a letter sent to Arthur Rudolph from Nazi officials asking when they could have the crane back. Jesus. In early April 1945, it was over. American troops were advancing toward middle Baudora and decisions were made. First, Dr. von Braun needed to decide who was better to surrender to, the Americans or the Soviets. Von Braun decided if he absolutely had to surrender, it would be to the Americans, but he didn't want all of his research destroyed. And nobody wanted to surrender to the Soviets. No, <laughs> Most people were gone for
0: years after the war. Meanwhile, the ones we took were celebrated. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> <The scoozy. laughs>
2: On von Braun's orders, his blueprints and other documentation were hidden in an abandoned iron mine near middle Baudora. Then explosives were set off to seal off the mine. and At that point, Dr. von Braun and members of his team fled to Austria, which is fucking it, crazy to think about. That's like action movie stuff. Like I'm going to hide all deli- my due diligence. Yeah, yeah. like mm. I'm going to hide all my stuff and then just blow dynamite up to make right. everything crumble around it.
0: Can you imagine how much stuff is actually lost somewhere out there because of stuff like this just through any wars, like what kind of research and data oh, and yeah. studies is like hidden out there? Sure. maybe not maybe stuff that like would have become irrelevant or stuff we've already you know accomplished, but just to see like early notes or just what what mm-hmm. could be out there because he did it, okay, we ended up getting well, we'll get to that, but this had to be done by other people. He's not. He's probably not the first guy in history to do something like this.
1: Yeah. What who, else? Is who hidden? died and went to their grave without revealing right. where that stuff was? What yeah. else
0: is hidden out there?
1: The bombs too. There's tons of unexploded bombs like underground in Germany from the war still.
0: Just let those be. We need to dig those up and have some <laughs> go. I'm pretty sure they explode <laughs> sometimes. So, what do you think? Bill Nye has hidden out there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> like, that guy knows some shit. You think so? Oh yeah, yeah. Bill Nye. Of course. Like, good stuff, obviously, because he's, you know, the greatest scientist of all time.
1: Mm. Like a cocaine and weapons cache somewhere (laughs) in America?
0: Oh. Can you imagine what he's got stored away somewhere? (laughs) Good guy. Love Bill Nye. Bill
1: Nye, the
2: nose candy guy. (laughs) Regarding the prisoners of Middle Baldora, many were forced into boxcars and trains carrying thousands of prisoners left on April 6th headed to other concentration camps that had the ability to mass-execute prisoners efficiently. Others were forced to walk on what became known as death marches, and prisoners who couldn't keep up were just shot and killed along the way. The fate of many of the Middle dora prisoners was decided on April 13, 1945, in the Gardlugin Massacre. More than a 1,000 prisoners, many of them sick and too weak to march any further, were taken into a large barn in the town of Gardlugan and forced inside. SS guards then barricaded the doors and set fire to straw that was soaked in gasoline. Prisoners who escaped by digging under the barn's walls were killed by the guards. Then the next day, the SS and locals returned to get rid of any evidence, but were thankfully stopped by the American 102nd Infantry Division, preserving the evidence so that we knew this took place. This didn't just get swept under the rug. Crazy. What does it smell
1: like standing outside a barn to burn a thousand people?
0: What does that smell like? The smell of burning skin mm. or like burning hair is the, like awful. The yeah. worst to me. Yeah. I was at a wedding one time. Man, what, what, what year is this? 2022? Over 10 years ago, probably. And like the head table wasn't like up high. Like it was just kind of like, you know, on the floor where that wherever all the other tables were, but it was right against the dance floor and they had candles on it. Uh-oh. And one of the <laughs> bridesmaids accidentally caught her hair on oh, fire. Fuck. Just a bit, nothing serious. Yeah. The entire place though, just smelled like burnt hair. <laughs> and like, that's even thing about it now, like starts gagging me. Like I can't do that's that. That's a horrible smell. smell. Sure. Burning smell, burning flesh. Uh, you know, not like I say burning flesh, like I smelled burning bodies, but like you just, you know, yeah, you get sure. your finger or something, or you know, it smells so bad. I think about a thousand people being incinerated yeah. in front of you. I think of the end of uh, midsummer, midsummer. Yeah, yeah. I probably smell good. Discuss that on January's Necro The movies available at patreoncom necronomapod. Great movie, but that's what like I think about, like just the smell of that, like you know. Humans just burning up. Well, now, some, thousands of them.
2: Some of the bigger camps, when the orders came in to destroy everything, um, orders were given to dig up the mass graves and then mm. burn the bodies. So there was mass graves of hundreds of thousands of rotting corpses dug up, and then they had like the conveyor belts dropping them into big pits, burning them. <sighs> Well, then you think about like, well, first of all, you like, you can Google
0: like the, those mass graves. Like there's all kinds of photos. Sure. It's not pleasant. Yeah. But then when you think about like even, you know, the incineraries on, on the prison camps after they gas them or whatever, and they're just burning the bodies right there, you know, that's going to smell all over the camp as well. They oh yeah. Shoot right Absolutely.
2: up. When there's also, you know, stories of small towns close to those places that people sometimes thought it was snowing. Yeah. And it was actually ashes just falling oh. down. Yeah. They're like, oh, we had no idea what was going on. Yeah. Yeah. It's unreal. So Dr. Werner Brown made it to Austria. And with him was his brother, Magnus, who is also a rocket engineer, which Magnus von Braun is another very uh, German name.
0: Yeah, it is. The most German name Se- ever. Second most German name ever. <laughs> yeah. Was uh, the other guy, the, what was his first name? Werther? Yeah, Werner. Werner. Yeah. Werner. I'd go with Magnus. That's cool. a fucking badass name, Magnus. (laughs) I like Werner better, but Magnus is all right. We're getting to the the deep, dirty, dirty of German names here. (laughs) I'm Ian.
2: I'm Werner. And I'm Magnus. (laughs) It sounded like Magnus couldn't handle the pressure of being on the run. And on May 2nd, 1945, he found an American private from the U.S. 44th Infantry Division, approached him and said, quote, my name is Magnus von Braun. My brother invented the V2. We want to surrender. Which I'm sure Werner's like, hey, pal, you can turn yourself in. I you didn't motherfucker. want to. <laughs> like, I didn't want to do You're that. Trying to get to Argentina, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing? You're
0: my fucking brother. You're going to do me dirty like that?
2: <laughs> no, but good. Yeah, yeah. On July 6, 1945, the U.S. Joint Chiefs of Staff sent out a top secret memo that at the time it was considered too controversial and it wasn't shown to President Truman before it went out.
0: Interesting. Doesn't sound like
2: <laughs> following the rules. I think this is the start of the idea that the CIA has where they just kind of do whatever they want. Black op, ops off the book. Yeah. This is where that kind of shit started. Well, they also use
0: the term. Well, we, we interpreted our last conversation with the <laughs> president. And such and such. Mm-hmm. They does a lot of that with uh, the Kennedy's in the sixties and going in and trying mm-hmm. to kill Castro and assassinate him and. According to the Kennedys, they never officially said that, but the CAA is like, well, you know, <laughs> we read between the lines of what you guys were telling us. Well, how we like they legitimately it. putting, you know, trying to poison his drinks and, oh, yeah. you know, like explosive ink pens and all this shit to kill Castor Olive, which
2: obviously failed. Fucking get smart shit, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, you know. Wasn't there something with a cigar that they hid some explosives yeah. in like or something? like a poison,
0: like explosive. Like, they'd try okay. all kinds of stuff. All right. And... You know, the Kennedys always claim that they never actually ordered that, but they had conversations where they discussed ideas, you know, or or what should we do? The CIA is like, well, we, you know, we took it to mean this. (laughs) Maybe they're doing that here, too. Who the fuck does CIA ever have to answer to? So, you know, what are you going to do?
2: True. So this memo is titled Exploration of German Specialists in Science and Technology in the United States. This memo was the birth of Operation Overcast. A list called List 1 included over 100 German rocket scientists to be recruited. Before the Nazi rocket scientists were given permission to move to America, Britain requested access to the scientists to do some rocket experiments of their own. Several of these Nazi scientists who worked on that first British experiment were later brought to America and eventually they were joined by hundreds of other weapons experts. Their cases were marked for special consideration by a paperclip being put on their file. This meant that no matter what crimes they committed as Nazis, their cases would be expedited for admission to America. The paperclip marking their file also changed the name from operation overcast to operation paperclip. Finally, been waiting all night to figure out Operation Paperclip.
0: <laughs> here we are. Am I right? Well, so we see, We'll see everyone next week. I'm glad they cleared this up, though, too, because you don't want to get confused with the other Operation Overcast, which is, you know, the daily weather here in Ohio. <laughs> Pretty much. Am I
1: wrong? No, you're not when wrong. When was the last
0: time we saw the sun? Like, I don't last know. Last October, I think. We had it like two weeks ago for a day. <laughs> like 20, 26 <laughs> yeah. minutes two weeks <laughs> <laughs> ago. <laughs>
1: I don't know. It was 70 yesterday in the morning. There was I had snow, there was- snow on the ground, It's then it was 70 by it's interesting. It's so
2: fucking weird. Yeah.
0: So here we are paperclip. So I like how they kayfabe it with the paperclip.
2: Yeah, it was actually like for real. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get to some of the top guys that we've talked about throughout the episode. First, the most famous one, Dr. Werner von Braun at first when he was arrested, von Braun, along with other Nazi scientists refused to cooperate But when von Braun saw colleagues of his being hung for their crimes, he used all the documents that he hid away in that iron mine as leverage. He was also he also got really, really friendly. Um, I think it was a British intelligence officer said that von Braun was like taking pictures with everybody, getting drunk with everyone, like Mm. made quick friends with everybody.
0: Like, knowing what his fate might be, like, oh, let me be the likable guy. Yeah. I also have
2: information that they want. Like, life of the party guy. Everybody liked Werner Von Braun. He's buying rounds for everyone. Mm. Yeah, the account was, like, by the end of a couple days, people were... Drunk singing songs with him and stuff. You strap his ass to a V two, put him up in space. Is <laughs> <laughs> not <Nazi laughs> the end pig? of one
0: of the Three Stooges, like when like <laughs> they, someone shoots a rocket and they all like it goes through their legs and it <laughs> takes them off.
2: <laughs> You're riding that missile to the moon. Von Braun was brought to the United States in 1945, and for the next 15 years, he worked for the U S Army, most notably as chief of U S Army Ballistic Weapons Program. He oversaw teams that developed the Redstone, Jupiter-C, Juno, and Pershing missile systems. Under his command, 120 former Nazi scientists worked on these and other jet systems. In the 1960s, he moved to Huntsville, Alabama, and became director of NASA's Marshall Space Flight Center, where the Saturn space boosters that allowed manned spaceflight were produced. In 1977, Von Braun even received the Presidential Medal of Freedom, which is the United States' highest civilian honor. I think that's some shit, huh? Von Braun didn't try to completely hide his past, but it was definitely whitewashed by Operation Paperclip. First, Von Braun said that he was never a true believer in Nazi ideologies and that he didn't join until 1939, at a point in the war where he was pretty much forced to, like, I have to at this point, Mm -hmm. which is not accurate. Von Braun willingly became a member of the Nazi party in 1937. There's access to his card. Mm. So like the serial number, everything. Okay. We got you, motherfucker. We (laughs) know what (laughs) happened.
0: We got him now. Back then, they were like,
1: shh.
2: Yeah. It's my back of his
0: file. (laughs) (laughs) Under the paperclip. Or the CIA. No one ever is going to take this out. (laughs)
2: We talked about it earlier, but Von Braun was a member of the SS, and he received promotions within the SS. A very active member, not not what he tried to say, that he was just kind of hanging out on the sides. Mm. He had been to the Middlework Tunnel Facility, so he knew what was going on there. And on at least one occasion, he went to the Buchenwald Concentration Camp to personally select prisoners for slave labor.
0: So he's as bad as it gets.
2: Yeah, Werner Von Braun is not an American not hero. He's Most of the information regarding von Braun's SS officer rank in Nazi records were classified until 2006. Werner von Braun died in Alexandria, Virginia in 1977. Everybody thought he was an American hero. President Carter issued an official statement after his death saying, quote, to millions of Americans,
0: Werner von Braun's name was inextricably linked to our exploration of space and to the creative application of technology. Not just to the people of our nation, but all the people of the world have profited from his work. Here's my question. Were, was, was like President Carter aware of his past, or was it I hidden even it, from him? I think it was hidden from him. How there. is that possible? That's yeah. crazy. Because like this is not something Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Carter would have done. You wouldn't think. Said. You wouldn't think that. How's a director of NASA,
1: a fucking former SS, and the president doesn't know about it? Like, how does that happen?
0: Or, I, or the and the, you know a different time, but like the media, like how are people not figuring this out?
2: Right, I think it's the same thing as MK Ultra. Uh, MK Ultra is going on forever behind everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, the president wasn't aware of of a lot of MK Ultra so if any MK Ultra stuff. So, I think, which is scary to think about how they can just hide so much stuff. President Ford had to apologize for MK Ultra to a degree when that scientist killed himself or was killed, whatever you right. want to believe. But I th- the first one that came out and actually said anything for real about it was Bill Clinton. Now look here, motherfucker.
0: <laughs> Mr. President.
2: I didn't know any of this when I took the <laughs> office, but uh, some uh, serious
1: accusations have come to light. And hey, like Mr. To tell Clinton, about it. <laughs> Mr. President, you're not on the stand. You have to answer no questions
0: right now. There's lots of Nazis among us here in the United States of America. I do not approve. Mr. Clinton, I, or, or Mr. President, excuse me, your attorney is not present. Maybe you should I, not talk. I think we should send these Nazi pigs back to where they came from. Un-American <laughs> fucking Nazi
1: bastards. So quite a character rebirth our friend uh, Werner had in, uh, in the good old U.S. of A., huh? It's really yeah. sickening. Kind uh, of it's absolutely disgusting.
0: That we allowed him to become kind of a hero and that we used him to you know, improve or advance our technology as much as we did.
2: Next is Arthur Rudolph. We talked about it earlier. Arthur Rudolph was the operations director for the Middle Work Tunnel System. He's the guy that was praised when everybody walked past the dead bodies. Yeah, great job, buddy. Stepping over bodies. Hey, this is
0: a swell establishment you got here. <laughs> that, oh, I feel bad. I'm not making light of it. It's awful.
2: When he was granted entry into the U.S. under Operation Paperclip, Rudolf was described by American officials in Germany as, quote, an ardent Nazi, and West German and American officials classified him as a war criminal. However, all of this was just quietly erased from his official file, and Rudolf went on to work for NASA. In the 1960s, Rudolph became a key engineer at the Marshall Space Flight Center in Huntsville, Alabama, managing teams of scientists working on the Saturn V rocket that, in 1969, launched the Apollo rocket in the first manned flight to the moon. Thanks to Operation Paperclip, almost nothing of Rudolph's past was known until 1979, when a State Department's Office of Special Investigations was given the task of hunting Nazis, who had hid their past and were living in the United States. Kind of makes you rethink your
1: opinion of NASA, right? A little bit. It's like a Nazi fucking organization. For
0: a while, it certainly was. It's run by
2: Nazis. (laughs) Pretty much.
0: It's crazy.
2: Yeah, pretty much.
0: For the time, we're not saying that NASA is run by Nazis now. I I don't have any information. I can't speak on that. (laughs) I'm just saying we're not (laughs) stating that it is
2: i'm well, not i am not stating that one way or another no OSI officials interviewed survivors from middlework and offered Rudolf a deal. The deal was that he wouldn't be charged if he voluntarily left the United States and gave up his u s citizenship. He and his wife moved back to Germany, but in nineteen eighty seven a German court ruled that there was insufficient evidence to try him for war crimes. He tried to get back into the u s for years um And he was even helped out by some former colleagues from NASA, but was unsuccessful. And he died in 1996 at the age of 89. There's a couple more names to bring up at the end that I couldn't figure out how to incorporate in the outline to keep it flowing like a story because there's so many people involved in this. It's like, I had us just this like, Scrolling list of names on my phone of Nazis, my, yeah, of people to bring up. And I'm like, I can't, we can't bring up all these people, mm-hmm. it's crazy. We'll so, be here all night, yeah.
0: But, 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 bonus <laughs> episode <laughs> for all
1: of the n- 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 Nazis,
2: <laughs>
0: they get nothing. Sorry, use special promo code Nazi, and you get uh, you pay an extra 35% <laughs> for every tier level. <laughs>
2: Dr. Leopold Alexander was a Jewish doctor from Vienna who escaped from Europe before the Holocaust and worked in psychiatric hospitals in New England. Eventually, Dr. Alexander volunteered for the U.S. Army, and as World War II came to a close, he was sent to Europe to interview Nazi scientists and doctors, not to bring them in with Operation Paperclip, but as criminal interviews to charge them with war crimes. One of the key doctors he interviewed was Dr. Hubert Strughold, a senior Nazi official who oversaw a large network of researchers who conducted experiments on hypothermia. Nazi scientists swore to Dr. Alexander that they only conducted experiments on animals, but that soon became very obvious that humans were the only ones being experimented on. Dr. Alexander didn't know this, but Strughold was already being looked at by a senior American military official, Lieutenant Colonel Harry Armstrong, chief surgeon of the 8th Air Force. While Dr. Alexander was stationed in Europe investigating war crimes and crimes against humanity, Lieutenant Colonel Armstrong was there to find Nazi medical researchers and bring them to the United States under Operation Paperclip. Lieutenant Armstrong made Dr. Strughold an offer. No charges would be brought against him if he became a co-chairman, along with Armstrong, of a new research center the American Air Force was setting up in Heidelberg called the Army Air Force's Arrow Medical center. Dr. Shughold was allowed to select the doctors he wanted to work with him, and he chose 58 Nazi doctors, including some who'd worked with him on brutal human experiments. Within a few years, these doctors were brought to the United States under Operation Paperclip.
1: How is that possible?
2: Like, remember Unit 731, we talked about like the hypothermia experience, just leaving people out in the freezing yeah. cold. That's what this guy was doing. That was one of his things. I mean,
0: if they're hiding this information, Dave, like nobody knows. I guess this guy's people cons- bringing them here. No, though. Right. And they're, but they're the ones that are like, oh,
1: awful.
2: Just despicable.
0: How do you justify it to yourself? Maybe I'm jumping ahead. We'll wait to the end.
2: Yeah. You know, in like six sentences here. The <laughs> struggle became professor of space medicine at the U S air force school of aerospace medicine. When talking about like medical equipment and stuff to go up with NASA, like any of that kind of stuff, he's known as the father of space medicine. Mm. In 1950, he co founded the space medicine branch of the Aerospace Medical Association. In 1963, it established the Hubris Strughold Award, given each year to recognize excellence in space medicine. They revoked that in 2012. <laughs> Good. Glad to hear it.
0: Woo! Yeah. USA, <laughs> USA.
2: Yeah, we stopped giving that out. Oh my God. Eventually, uh, In total, about 1,600 Nazi scientists were brought to the U.S. under Operation Paperclip, as well as their family members. So full families of people were brought in all. Meanwhile,
0: millions of families <laughs> were separated, killed, tortured, used as human testing.
2: There was one other guy I wanted to bring up at the end, um, Dr. Otto Ambrose. He wasn't a paperclip guy, but he was Hitler's favorite chemist. <laughs> when they were running out of rubber, you know, mid-war, Dr. Otto Ambrose discovered synthetic rubber. He's the first guy to make synthetic rubber. Really? Yeah. Okay. He was also involved in Auschwitz and in destroying, um, destroying a lot of evidence, human experiments, things like that. He created sarin gas. He was the innovator of that. All right. He was arrested. He did two years in prison. Then we got him out, brought him to the United States to work on some different army things. And he became a high up board member for Dow chemical. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, so anything that you use made of rubber, synthetic rubber, Dr. Otto Ambrose Dow chemical. I mean, they make all kinds of stuff. yeah. Yeah. So we were like, hey, you know, turn a blind eye to all that stuff you did at Auschwitz. Like he was one of the last doctors Mm -hmm. at at Auschwitz destroying stuff. Like everyone else was bailing ship and he was still behind burning things. Mm.
0: This is not a good feel good story.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Which is different than what we usually cover on this
0: show with all the feel good (laughs) stuff we discuss. Uh, I don't know. I
1: I think it's a tough balance because coming out of the war, you're immediately entering the Cold War with the Russians, like we talked about earlier. And how do you balance the needs of needing to counter the Soviets with, you know, these resources are there. If you let them go, there's the chance the Soviets are going to pick them up. So you either have to take them or you have to kill them, right?
0: You can't just leave them out there for the Russians to grab. I agree. So. You take them, you imprison them, you take what you find, like, you know, when the, the mountain or whatever, the uh, explosion that Von Braun, Braun had, mm-hmm. you give that to your Jewish scientists, who are much smarter anyways, and let them take it from there. That would be my method. Lock these people up in prison forever so the Soviets can't get them. Where, if you can squeeze though? something out of them, squeeze it, but then but let, let everyone else take over from there where i mean you can't imprison
1: them here so they'd be in a german prison a lot of those guys got out fairly quickly in the 50s if not the end of the 40s they didn't do much time they only executed or hung like 10 of the nazis in nuremberg well i'm
0: certainly not advocating to execute them Uh, oh they should have hung a lot more of those nazi pigs and 10 killing doesn't make killing better dave
2: like reading back in history when infantry would just roll up on some Nazis and just hang them right there with no trial. I just Oh in the
0: field, yeah. yeah. Well it's a different if you're in war. Yeah. I mean
1: if you're I um, mean at the war trials in Nuremberg. Yeah. And they only hung like ten people, I think.
2: So I don't know. I'm just I, saying I, I don't feel bad for the ones with no trials. It's like what? Whatever. Wartime.
1: Um But I don't know how you weigh that. Do you want those Nazi pigs coming to this country and then holding positions of power? I I mean, it's, there's no simple answer here. It's why
0: can't you lock them up here? They're your, you, they're yours now. You can't. I don't. You can't just export prisoners and bring them. I guess you could. But you also.
1: That's exactly yeah. what the Soviets did. They put them in yeah. prison for a long time in the Soviet Union. But but it's also it's a balance what between we did.
0: that or making
1: them American heroes. Yeah, I don't. You know, there's no good answer. I understand why. It's a thought behind why. Yeah, it's a resource. If you if you let that resource just go or whatever, you know, someone else is going to grab that resource. You might not like it. It might not be fantastic, but if it
2: furthers your cause. It's a resource that's available. I don't. I, don't I think know. that should have been something that should have been open with with the public. I don't know if that would have been a great
0: idea. I feel like there would have been a lot of.
2: I, I mean, mean, I'm, I'm not saying you want to lie, but. Not hold them up as an American hero for sure. Till two, and for I mean, sure. there was people that knew. There was some rumblings about it, but like the full scope of Paperclip didn't come out until two thousand six. Like the
1: general public, the GI's coming back from the
0: war, that would have not like yeah. they couldn't do that. Yeah, can that you imagine have, no. like what that would have? You know, and and it sounds like you know if the you know Commander in Chief is not even you know in on this, then obviously yeah, you know, there's very few people who actually know the truth. So. Look, you have you to know. do distasteful things sometimes
1: when you run a country. I don't it's awful, but you know, I'm Maybe. not gonna say it wasn't
0: the right decision. I don't know. I will come out and say this was a stupid wrong decision, well, personally. I think this was awful. This is this is a huge tragedy in American history. I'm not gonna say that. I am. Okay. Especially because it, it, it amounted to them be, being, you know, having awards named after them and presidents declaring them heroes and, and what, what did, uh, the last line of Carter's speech really, Oh, it's disgusting. But all sure. the people of the world have profited from oh, his yeah. work, you know, and I gotta I, tell I, that I, to the millions I, that are dead. Yeah. Like
1: I have to tell myself that Jimmy Carter didn't know. I hope he, I can't, I agree. With I you. can't imagine. I agree. Jimmy Carter. I don't think that, Jimmy but, Carter
0: would ever yeah. have given that speech had he known personally from what I've, you know, studied about him. Look, I mean, sometimes decisions
1: are binary and there's not a good one. It's a bad decision and a worse decision. And I don't leaving disagree. them for the Russians was a worse decision. So I, you know, I don't, but I don't know. think it's
0: just one or the other. Well,
2: I get to that. like, you can't just be open about it with the public. The bigger burn out of it is how celebrated these guys were. was it
1: necessary.
2: Yeah. Did we have, it was it or wasn't, it wasn't necessary to be right. over the top with the celebratory crap like that. Right. That's what I would like. I know, like you said, like the guys coming home or like they would never stand for that. Yeah. But at least not make these guys into these heroes for all. I agree. I agree, I agree like, with that.
0: Like, yeah, the last guy, which I'm going to call it was teaching at what the, the air force Academy. Yeah. You know, that's a direct slap in the face to everybody who's ever served. He's, he's now teaching there and there's an award named after him.
2: Yeah. It really kicked it all off though. Kicked off the CIA, all the secrecy. Yeah, yeah. MK Ultra started not long after this with Nazi science. Well, they got away with it now. Like, Do whatever we want. <laughs> yeah, for real. It's a hell of a story.
0: I think the interesting one of the most more interesting parts to me about this is, is how quiet they were able to keep it, you know, the CIA or people involved. Like and like the question of did the presidents know? Who who knew? Who didn't? Uh, you know, did the CIA hand pick like, oh, we're going to tell, you know, Gerald Ford, we're not going to sell Jimmy Carter. We're going to tell, you know, so whoever, like did Eisenhower know about this? Right. You, right. Know, yeah. you know, even back to then, did yeah, Eisenhower right. know? Did Kennedy know, did, you know, Johnson know Nixon? And, you know, that's the interesting part, maybe because I'm just like, I prefer the president, presidential stuff, mm-hmm. but
2: I don't know. That's wild. And Werner Brown wasn't, um. He didn't hide the fact that he was a Nazi party member. He was fairly open about that, but he made it seem like he was forced to, mm-hmm. and that's how we made it forced to. It was like that whole thing of a good Nazi versus an ardent Nazi. Yeah. But then, as you know, time goes on and things get declassified, it's like, oh no, wait, he was it's an 100%. SS member, and yeah. then he actually went through the ranks of being an SS member and yeah. stuff like that.
1: I don't have a good answer
2: for this.
0: No, no, I mean, the world I mean, is the you, world sometimes, you and an you answer. have to deal with what's going on. There is, I mean, there's really no good answer for this. But you're trying, not. You're trying to make a good answer out of you know what's left over of the Holocaust and you know Nazi yeah. rules. So interesting episode, though. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm, any other final thoughts or anything else? Ian, you said it's tied into MK Ultra. Anything else that we know of that this? might have tied into with us, or is it more just the only thing left is Nazis and the occult? Or Yeah, for us,
2: Nazis and the occult. Marie Orsig, is that her name? Yeah. that's.
0: Is that a whole episode, Marie Orsig, or is that part of the Nazis and the
2: occult? I want to try and do her as a full episode. That's that's like a fun bonus part to all the serious stuff, because Marie Orsig is not a real person. (laughs) (laughs) That's not real, but it's a fun tie-in to... To like wrap it all up,
0: like a cool down episode. Yeah. I feel like this is an episode you need to cool down from. This unit 731. Yeah. There's a few of those episodes where afterwards you're just like, oh, I just want to fucking rank, you know, fast food cheeseburgers for a while. (laughs) (laughs) We might do
2: Joseph Mengler, right? We've talked about that. That's another one you've mentioned. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. brought it up. That'll be a, that'll definitely be a cool down (laughs) one. That's unit 731 type stuff. All right. Anything else on this one? I just think it's good to know. What? Some history behind what we, things, yeah. That's fun episode. I would just Not say, fun,
0: you know, fun conversation. Sure, Not it's in, it's topic. interesting
1: because it's where we all came from.
0: Sure, and something different for us. I yeah. like when we do things different.
1: I would just, I would just apologize for any historical World War II errors. I mean, I was just kind of talking off the cuff about World War II knowledge. I haven't really. Read about that stuff in depth in a long time. So, think it was like a World War Two expert, listening yeah, to us. Don't com- com- don't comment idiot. me with any fucking <laughs> errors this I on. made.
0: This goes you, you I think I was pretty,
1: pretty accurate. So,
0: Ooh, Battle of the Bulge was not a sorority Royal Rumble, Dave. <laughs> you could look it up in a history book.
2: <laughs> I think the other really, I don't know, scary, unfortunate thing. I guess like I was watching TikTok the other night. No surprise, but there of was a, you <laughs> there was a video on there where some guy was walking around downtown in some city and he was asking people, do you know what the Holocaust is? There were so many people that he talked to that did not know what it was in the United States. Mm -hmm. So many young people that were like, they had no idea. Well, that's pretty disheartening I would think, right? Yeah. I was shocked. I'm like yeah. god damn. Well, we're banning books about the Holocaust though, so yeah. it shouldn't be surprising. Yeah, Tennessee, that whole school district.
0: Like if there's if you're an American, there's three things maybe, four four like the four pillars of uh like what you should probably know about history. Like like the American Revolution, the Civil War, the Holocaust/World War 2, and then maybe like 9/11. Like, if you're going to pick yeah. like pick the four things people should know, probably. I would agree with that.
1: I don't know. I bet a I mean, third I of this country couldn't tell you what century
2: the American Revolution was in. I agree. If not, a third, 50%. A third, a
1: third Dave, come on.
2: And <laughs> just last year, the UN kind of defined what Holocaust denial is, what they would consider Holocaust denial, because it's illegal in Germany. You can't go online talking that shit you can't sell hitler memorabilia like all right. that shit's against the law but I, I was thinking about like QAnon. there was a guy that popped up recently with that and that has spiraled into like this whole holocaust denial this guy online was going by the username ghost ezra and just really promoting the holocaust denial stuff hard and all these you know had all the QAnon people just go along with it and then it came out that he was, someone doxxed him as like this 39-year-old guy in Florida. Just this fucking average guy. Florida. <laughs> but, fucking Christ. But the fact that a lot of people don't know what it is, or there's a portion that aren't aware of it. And then some jackass online can just say that, you know, spout all this misinformation.
1: Well, and there's no critical thinking skills anymore. So people don't have the capability to discern what's nonsense and what's not. And- Right. So when some clown like that, they're like, well, that sounds right to me. Cause they have, they
0: have no basis to, well, between you know, and that and then like the social media and like those targeted ads and you know, whatever, yeah. they, you know, people can post about anything and it's, you know, people don't have to think anymore. They just, Oh, well, I saw this and this is what it is. It's just no more critical
1: thinking about it.
2: I just feel like those type of people live in Florida. <laughs> it It's like almost sets up for history to repeat itself when people aren't educated on the truth
0: and a hundred percent does. And
2: then they, you know, if they get their information from someone like that,
0: you're walking a fine line here, pal. Yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we don't allow you to do that subject.
2: <laughs> Cause you are fucking red ass in right now.
0: <laughs> All right. We got some, uh, patron shout outs to get to quite a b- big group today. This is, uh, this is awesome. Thank you very much to new patrons Liv McHugh, Hayden Williamson, Hannah Walker, Argus eyed Angel, Nate Huffenagel, Rebecca, Hypnez, Cuck Hunter 14, (laughs) Haley Walsh, The Valley Buck, Chet Shipley, Ian Ast Alexandria, He Likes, (laughs) Jacob Greider, (laughs) McKenzie, Mary Peterson, Chad Gross, Fran Martin, Patrick Casey, Julia Armstrong, Eddie Hines, Lakey, Dominic Oja, Emily Cash, Taylor Johnson, Brian Stout, Avery, Natalie Hellquest, Tarantino, Blux Digital, Rural Rules, Gemma, Cole, Maya Barnum, DJ Honky Lips, wasn't that from one of our uh, <laughs> one of our bits? DJ Honky Lips.
2: It sounds familiar. i sounds very familiar. I had a
0: name, and then we, we were the the cracker ass motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> That's a deep cut. That's a deep cut name. Jonathan Wilson, Ian's yeasty beastly beef. Haley, Mike Namapod, the illustrious bird prober. Nick, these people, Nick Beal, Glizzy Goblin, Hope Williams, Dylan, Crystal, Raymond Nesbitt, Melissa Mathey, Amelia Dye, Seth Sickmeyer, Jackie Hudo, Lisa Stahl, Anthony and Hannah, Chelsea Tafoya, Beverly Barnes, Rebecca Bailey, Jamie Benson, Melina, Tracy Price, Madeline Harless, Chelsea Hipkin, Ashley, Tony, Crimson Ghost, Jason Osgood, Chris McCulloch, Jace, Jace Jewell, William Phillips, Aaron McAllister, Mindy Price, Amara Moreno, Sierra JB, Shelly Keekins, Joanne Abode, Haywood, <laughs> Haywood Jablomi, Freya Raja, brenda forgery thank you all very much we are at patreon.com slash necronomapod ian what do you got
2: for itunes i've one for jelani the artist ember nehemiah chris andrus meaningful review x alec x donkey two three four five fat boy slim 97 And Samantha Loves Dave. I think I read that one last week. Oh, read it again. She sounds great to me. Samantha Loves Dave. Thank you for the awesome reviews. Good for you, Samantha. (laughs) Great name.
0: Dave, what do you got?
1: I just want to say uh, hi to Samantha out there. (laughs) Samantha Loves Dave
0: fame. (laughs) Hope you're having a great night. Thanks, Samantha, for the great review. President of his fan club out there. That's all I got. (laughs) We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, at Necronomapod. Patreon.com slash Necronomapod if you wish to access the bonus content. Amazon.com. Search Necronomapod for all of our merch. And Necronomapod.com for stickers. we got the sticker packs available. Check it out.
2: All right. You guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers.